You are listening to the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Brady Quinn, Fox Sports College and NFL game analyst, and uh, he will be in Ann Arbor. It's number five Michigan on Saturday against the Ohio State. Big noon kickoff on Fox, and uh, you can also listen to him every weekday morning. Two bro, uh, two bros, two pros and a cup of Joe. Two bros with Lavar Arrington and Jonas Knox, and you can catch them on Fox Sports Radio. Good morning, Brady. How are you, bud? I'm doing well, Dan. Uh, you're looking quite dapper Thank you. in your uh, your pumpkin-colored sweatshirt. Thank you, Brady. Thank you. That's Dapper Dan. That's how we came up with that, uh, that uh, expression. All right, tell me how Michigan wins this game. Uh, Michigan wins this game if Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end, and David Ojabo, their other defensive end, do what they've done all year and pester the opposing quarterback. They're both tied for the league in sacks to the Big Ten. And if you look at C.J. Stroud, his completion percentage drops dramatically from a clean pocket versus under pressure. He completes about 73% of his passes from a clean pocket, about 53% when he's under pressure. And that's something that he really hasn't faced much this season. But when you watch him on tape, when guys start to get close, you can tell he doesn't like it. He doesn't want to take off and run. He wants this to be a seven-on-seven, essentially, where he doesn't have to worry about getting hit. That's what we saw last week versus Michigan State, which was one of the better pass-rushing teams but because how that game started off, there was just really no ability for them to get back into that thing, rush the passer. They got pretty worn out, in particular on the outside. How important is this game for Jim Harbaugh? I mean, you could put it up there with pretty much every year. They've played Ohio State and, and trying to find one, find a win in a way of kind of staking his flag in this rivalry and saying, all right, I've arrived. You know, I, I did it as a player but now have arrived as a coach. And I think that would be a huge signal for this program. You know, it's, it's funny. And, and the reason why I said it is like Penn state who just signed James Franklin to that extension, you know, they've at least beat Ohio state. Like they've at least showcased, I think in recruiting too, they're a little bit more competitive in recruiting versus Ohio state. Um, and, and I think in order for mission to get back, they've got to do it at least once. They've got, they've got to be able to pitch that to those recruits once, because if I'm a recruit and I was one at a, you know, Ohio state in Michigan, and if I was looking at these two schools and, and you have this long line of Ohio State wins versus Michigan, and as much as they can preach to me, well, you can be the change. Come to Michigan, help us beat Ohio State, you can be the change. You're still going to say, I'd rather go with the team that has a better chance of winning a national championship. If Michigan beats Ohio State, they've got the edge going up against an opponent. They already beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. I assume that's who it's going to be. And then a path, obviously, to playing in the college football playoff. They sit now at five. So this is monumental in the case that I think Jim Harbaugh makes not only this Saturday, but also moving forward to every recruit and every Michigan fan that he's preaching why he should be the guy there in Ann Arbor. Why is it a guy who played the position can't find a great quarterback? I I don't even know that it's not that he can't find one. I mean, J.J. McCarthy is one of the higher recruited quarterbacks that's come onto this roster. Kate McNamara, too, is a little higher recruiter. It's more of the development piece. And I think that's a twofold discussion. It's, it's the sense of what offense and system are you running? And I, I think he's kind of found something that works for them now with Josh Gaddis calling plays. Um, but it's, it's more of the development of finding that guy who's able to kind of take over a game when they need him to most. So it's been those two things that have been elusive for them. I do think they've found that rhythm now, getting back to the rushing attack, the rushing game. I mean, if you've looked traditionally – what has won the Big Ten? As much as we want to talk about how talented Ohio State is throwing the football around, 
They've also, I think three of the last four years, if I'm not mistaken, led the Big Ten in rushing. Like, that's a big component. That's what Michigan started out this season doing and playing good defense and then bringing Cade McNamara along, who now has two-plus touchdown passes in the past you know, few games. And so they're starting to evolve there. We're talking to Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback. Uh, he will be in Ann Arbor. It'll be a Fox Big Noon kickoff. That will be Ohio State against Michigan. I also wonder about this, and, and you can't help but speculate, that if Jim Harbaugh doesn't beat Ohio State this time around, does he look at that Chicago Bears opening? It's going to be open. And I just wonder, you don't want to turn your back on your alma mater, but that might be one of those where both parties say, you know what, maybe it's just not going to work out like we thought it was. Potentially, you know, but, but I think if, if I was Jim Harbaugh and I'm looking at that next jump, I, I better make sure that it's one that I feel really confident that it's positioned where I can go and have success right away. You have Justin Fields, and he's clearly or, or well aware of how good Justin Fields is. Um, even though they didn't play each other last year, I, I think he's seen enough tape on Justin Fields to know how good he is, what he can be as a quarterback. But there's a lot of other decisions that you've got to make with that roster, a lot of other things that I think, you know, you, you'd probably rather take over the Bears when Aaron Rodgers isn't a part of the Packers anymore. Maybe he's not after this year. I don't know. But the reality is, uh, if that's the only job he's offered and he feels like there's just too much pressure and they've reworked his contract and, he just wants to jump back to the pro level, feels like he can be more successful there. Sure, you're going to take what's there. But I, I think with this next jump, he's got to be careful because the next jump could be his last one. Whereas Michigan has been by his side. They are still supporting him through all of this. Uh, and as much as Michigan fans want to complain about lack of success, they're much better off with Jim Harbaugh than they were before he got there. Like, let's not forget that. They're recruiting well. They're pumping guys out in the NFL. They're averaging about, you know, nine wins or so. Uh, you'd say maybe before whatever, you know, last year was with the COVID year, but that's what they're averaging now, which is better than what they were. So I just think he's got to be careful about that next jump because it could be his very last. And he's made them relevant. Um, you know, that that we, we do know about Michigan. Uh, we're curious about Michigan, but we know that season always comes down against uh, Ohio State. How safe should Cincinnati feel at number four in the rankings? I don't feel like they should feel safe only in the sense that, you know, look, they're sitting there at four. I don't think they have any room for error. You know, I, they're favored by a couple of touchdowns versus East Carolina this week, right? You know, a close win versus East Carolina. I believe it's on the road. You know, I don't think they're getting docked or pushed back for it. I just think they have to worry about, they, they have to win. That's all they need to do. And I think they're in because the playoff committee has already, you know, put them in this position so far. And, you know, you're assuming one of those teams in the top four is going to drop out, right? Uh, at least we're assuming Georgia's going to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. So at worst, maybe, you know, our best, maybe they move up to three. But I think they should feel pretty safe. I mean, Notre Dame's behind them. They're not going to move ahead of them unless they drop a game, probably in the AAC championship game. Like, that's where it gets a little sticky. Like, they both have one loss, even though they beat them head-to-head. -head. They don't have the conference championship to wave over Notre Dame. And, and you can make the case Notre Dame's played better football of late, um, with the exception of last week where Cincinnati obviously played extremely well, blowing out SMU. But I just I don't look at anyone behind them being able to leapfrog them unless, you know, they really falter and they end up dropping either this week's game or obviously, you know, their conference championship, which I think that's the only way they fall out of this thing at this point. We saw what happened with the Giants yesterday that uh, Jason Garrett was fired, the offensive coordinator. What does that matter to a team that 
is not a good offensive team, no matter who's calling the plays. Yeah, I mean, it's been a lack of execution. They can use Jason Garrett as the scapegoat. The reality is Daniel Jones turns over the football way too much. Uh, I think he's got between seven interceptions, seven fumbles this year. I mean, it's just – it's not a formula for success. He's in his third year starting, and that's been his issue the entire time. You know, Saquon hasn't been healthy, hasn't been as impactful. The offensive line that they've continued to keep trying to building upon, it's never really meshed and developed the chemistry they need. Um, you know, there, there's just so many different issues offensively. I don't think it's going to matter that they're changing out Jason Garrett. And even though Freddie Kitchens, who's had success doing this before, hell, got him a head coaching job. I, I don't know that that's going to matter when it's all said and done. I think this is more of a move that signals when you start firing coordinators, that means you as the head coach are feeling the heat. And that someone above you is telling you, like, we got to make a change. Not, I'm not going to say for change's sake, but for optics. Because if we don't, then, then you're next. You know, you're the next thing coming. So they're just trying to figure out a way of winning football games, looking more competitive, to have some sort of optimism going in the offseason. Otherwise, I, I think you got to be careful if you're Joe Judge. Obviously, David Gettleman, too, with the way these draft picks have kind of worked out or lack of development. They, they all could be moving on. They all could be starting over again. We had a topic yesterday, the most awkward quarterbacking situation. Not necessarily bad, but awkward. Uh, the Niners with what's going on with Jimmy G, that they're they're winning. Like, do you, what if he gets you to the playoffs? Do you then say, hey, thanks, some nice parting gifts. Uh, the Eagles, are they going to be all in on Jalen Hurts? The Falcons, do you stay with Matt Ryan? Uh, the Dolphins, with what's going on there. The Saints, it feels like they have three quarterbacks, but they don't have one quarterback there. Which quarterbacking situation is the most awkward to you? Uh, I mean, you named two that I think are really awkward. You know, you got the Green Bay Packers and their success, but Jordan Love sitting right there and Aaron's playing banged up. And you feel like there's the potential based on the rework contract that he's not even back next year. And so how's that going to work out? Because I look at the, at the Packers as one of the best, if not the best team in the NFL. So there's that out there. Like, are you really going to part ways after what could be a, a Super Bowl winning season? Um, there's a lot of awkwardness to that, right? As far, as far as what it looks like, at least now heading forward. And then the other one is Seattle. I mean, we, we obviously know Russell Wilson, for some reason, he has got the intention or was floated out there that he maybe, you know, would have some other teams he wouldn't be traded to. And they've never experienced, you know, a losing season, but it seems like it's headed in that direction right now. The awkwardness of Pete Carroll in the press conferences, the offense hasn't looked like what they needed to. Now he's got the hurt finger that he's trying to overcome which I think he came back too early. I've dealt with that injury before. Um, and, I, and I think it, it's hard to adjust to how your, you know, your hand feels throwing the football after that injury. So they've got all these things. And meanwhile, like lingering on the outside is, oh, yeah, he kind of threw out some teams that he'd, he'd want to go to in the offseason. And that's still lingering over there. So is, is this going to get to a point where maybe after the season in Seattle, they have their first losing season together? And Pete and Russell say, hey, why don't you guys start over? I'll, we'll go our separate ways. I mean – those are more, I think, the awkward points because like, we're kind of half that halfway point now that I think those two teams are kind of staring at least at down the road uh, at the halfway point of the season. I don't think Russ is there in Seattle next year. I, I just I think there's got to be a change for him. I wonder if Pete Carroll would leave if Russ would want to stay. Um, but it feels like Russ is going to be on an, another team next year. I just... Can't imagine. What about the Giants? What about the Giants? I mean, I feel like they're, if they move on, obviously, they've already moved on from the OC. 
if they end up moving on from, you know, Gettleman or if they end up moving on from Joe Judge as well, that's a team that, look, it's a big market. You know he's a part of the power couple. Uh, and that's a roster with, when you talk about Evan Ingram, you talk about Kadarius Tony, who I think he's got a lot of ability. Uh, Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay is on that roster. Saquon Barkley, too. There's a lot of weapons. And that's a kind of winnable division. I, I don't know. I just think that market, everything mm. else, I think he wants to get to the East Coast, especially with Sierra. You know, they want to be a part of that. That's, that's one that I'd keep an eye on. Safe travels to Ann Arbor. Are they going to be nice to you in Ann Arbor? Um, I mean, I, I only started once there. We won. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, I feel like there's not really much trash talking they can do there. I, I told the, the fans there in East Lansing that back in, I think it was with 2004, 2006, I bought real estate uh, there in East Lansing. So I, I said, make sure they take care of it for me while I'm gone. I've got a little real estate in Ann Arbor too. So hopefully the fans are taking care of my property there on the field. This, this might not help by what you're saying now. This might not. Oh, help. no, it won't. No, uh, I don't well, think so. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, we'll figure it out. You might get mooned. They might, you know, pull their pants down and moon you in Ann Arbor. Well, Michigan fans are a little more classic there. They don't, they don't spread the cheeks like, like in East Lansing. You know? I guess that's the difference in a state school, a private institution. I, I, I still can't imagine. What's that first time you pull in there with Notre Dame on the team bus and, and you got all of these guys who were pulling their pants down and, you know, mooning you? It, it's, a, it's appalling. It's like, uh, well, look, we're all, we're all experiencing Thanksgiving tomorrow. Uh, it's not overly pretty sometimes looking at the backside of your turkey, the way it's stuffed in there, all right? It kind of resembles that. So I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving wow. meal tomorrow. And yeah. imagine yeah. that. Yeah. That's a great, cut the turkey. great memory. Yeah, great image there. Hey, uh, safe travels. Great to talk to you. Thank you, buddy. Hey, thankful for you guys. I hope everyone enjoys their Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Doug in North Carolina. Hi, Doug. What's on your mind today? Dan, I'm, I'm shocked that I got through. Uh, I was actually up at, at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking about this phone call. So uh, just to give you a little guilt trip. But um, this is a serious call. It has nothing to do with sports. And the only reason I got through, because I, I said this to Marvin, and he said, Doug, I'm going to put you through because my wife agrees with you. I think you guys are wrong, but I'm going to put you through. So on behalf of Mrs. Marvin, I would like to tell America, this has to be said at this time of the year, food should not touch. And it certainly shouldn't touch on your plate. So when you're having or on your uh, on your fork, you don't need a whole thing of mashed potatoes, turkeys, and peas all rolled into one. Were you not hugged enough as a child? So I'm just pleading with people. Uh, tomorrow when you have your Thanksgiving dinner, separate your food. All right. Enjoy each, each item separately. You don't need it all together. Thank you. Marvin's wife agrees with me, and it needs to be said. All right. Thank you, Doc. Yes, Todd. That sounds good in theory, but when you got all that food in front of you and you're going and they're passing the plates or you're helping yourself, next thing you know, I would do this at, uh, unfortunately, for my waistline, like a buffet breakfast, like on a cruise or something. You're just dumping everything and packing as much as you can. And if one thing spills into another, that's, you know, so be it. Yes. Yeah, I'm probably, I don't agree with that call. I'm probably more of a, like, a little bit of everything in each bite kind of guy. Like you have a little mashed potatoes, a little stuffing, a little bit of turkey, a little bit of cranberry. Like, dang, that's like a perfect bite. I'm enough OCD. I don't need to add another 
OCD. Like, no, can't, no, can't touch. No. As my mom would always say when she would just slop it on her plate. Oh, it all goes same place. <laughs> I, I, I go, okay. Oh, it all goes same place. All right, mom. Yeah, Paul. But if you're an adult who had that issue, you couldn't have, you'd have to have one of those kids' plates with yes. like the, the main section, the three little sections. Yeah. Can you imagine at the dinner bringing out your own sectioned out <laughs> plate tray? A little TV dinner tray? Oh, look, there's a little dessert in the oh, middle, too. Oh, nice. that's fun. Yeah. Damn, those came in handy. When I, my wife, you know, would go someplace and I had the kids, those TV dinners were a godsend where you just fire them up, give it to them, let them watch the TV. I was good to go. Go take a nap. Yeah, Paul. The great thing about those TV dinners is they heated through perfectly. The outsides were never scalding hot, <laughs> while the insides were icy cold. That never happened. Ever. Yeah, like there'd be that little pad of frozen gravy on top of yeah. your mashed potatoes, and everything around it got heated, but then underneath was still frozen. Yeah. Like, oh, gross. And you always had spillover. You know, your dessert went into the peas, or vice versa. You're like, oh. Yes, Todd. It would always be like like those Swanson Hungry Men that is like fried chicken, macaroni and cheese. There was nothing healthy. And you're giving this to your kids and everything. Maybe sprinkling in a couple of peas and carrots doesn't all of a sudden make it some healthy dinner. Thank you. Uh, Did I make that sound again? Yeah, a little bit. Jeez. You you run out of air. It's like, you know, the, the balloon is running out. It's a medical of... problem. You got me worried. <laughs> going the the peas and carrots. No, you're just, you have, just to take a, you have to take a breath. Because you'll try to do one take and then you'll go and then the carrots and then the... no but like is there a salivary specialist or is it an orthodontist no a no you thing? just take a breath you just gotta take a breath you just take, I talk too fast yeah you just take a breath and then but you want to do it in one breath and i should still ask my general practitioner i do have an appointment next month no but you just you run out of air you still you don't run out of words you run out of and then it makes weird sounds <laughs> that nobody needs to hear on thanksgiving eve of all time <laughs> yes, McLovin. I don't want to put this in your brain, but I have a daughter who, if any food touches, thrown out immediately. She can't, and it's an OCD thing. Carrot touches a pasta, I get it out of her face. So there's something going on there. Oh, I know. I've been around kids that you know they couldn't eat a sandwich. You had to, you had to, you had to cut up the sandwich. You had to take off the crust. I mean, no, I know it's real, but I, like I have enough OCD that I can't even think about that. Or I would be like, no, separate. Yes, Seaton. See, what Andrew just said, though, is perfectly acceptable to me. If, like, now it's, like, contaminated. So, all right, got to get rid of it. Mm. The problem with the caller was he was like, if you're okay with your food touching and eating it, that you have some type of trauma that you've suffered as a child <laughs> because you weren't hugged enough. <laughs> That's a little bit that is, like, that is, yeah. I don't know how that works into my childhood trauma, but uh, yeah, I can't say that he's wrong. And it might be that what happened to Doug in North Carolina. Maybe he wasn't hugged enough. Maybe. Because to me, it sounds more crazy to be like, it has to stay apart. Yeah. That's the crazy part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just mumbled, what a lunatic. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but so the peas are in the mashed potatoes and the cranberry fell in the turkey. What? That's a big deal. Like, does this dude, he's never had shepherd's pie? Is that not an acceptable food? I don't, I don't know. All I know is if you grew up in my household, there was no room for any of that nonsense. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Um, no, don't let it. My brothers would be like, I'll take it. Like, that'd be it. It's like, and my mom would side with my brothers. They're like, hey, if you're not going to eat it, they're going to. Like, you know, it was real. By the way, five years ago this week, my mom passed away. And, uh, you know, 
you, you think of the holidays and she was just, she was so great. Great woman, great woman. But uh, five years, five years since uh, she passed away. Did she run the show at Thanksgiving? Like when no, you back no. at the house? No. Um, when you guys would all go back there, though, would she like let y'all have a? Cons- no, we didn't want my mom to cook. We we wanted uh, my brother, my oldest brother, would would cook, and uh, we'd just hang out in the garage, drink beers, and he would make the uh, turkey out there. But. Uh, you know, my mom wanted to be treated like a queen. You know, she was like, uh, I'm going to sit down and if you want to bring me something, then I would be nice. You know? But no, she was she was not going to get her hands dirty. She did for so long with kids. I mean, good God. Last thing you want to do after doing that is, you know, let me cook a meal. She's like, oh, I never want to cook a meal again if I don't have to. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brian Bumgardner, actor, director, and of course played Kevin in The Office. And uh, he co-authored a new book, Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, The Ultimate Oral History of The Office, which just went on sale last week. Brian, good to talk to you. How are you, buddy? Dan, how are you? It's nice to talk to you. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Give me the number one question that was never answered on The Office. Is there one that stands out? Well, wow, the the question that was never answered. Well, I'll tell you what I tried to answer, and I came up with about 12 different answers, is why are we where we are now, right? Like, let's, if you go back in time when The Office was on NBC, we were their number one show for most of the time we were on, but we weren't like, great we weren't like friends you know we weren't like billboards in times square and the cover of vogue every week shocker (laughs) um but now you know eight years since we filmed anything we're the most watched show in television so really what i tried to do through this book is to answer that question which is which is what happened and and really this show that we were making for people who worked in offices why are young people watching it? Why do I get approached by 12 year olds every day? Like, h- how did this happen? Um, I don't know that there is one answer. Um, but I think that I think that that the relationship between the correlation between an office setting and a school setting is 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 a is a pretty pretty was it was bigger than we thought. Did Jim and Pam become an item in real life off the set? No, (laughs) no, no, not at all. And, you know, Jenna actually talked to me in the book about how she she always hated talking to people about it because she felt like 
that it was like telling people that Santa Claus didn't exist, <laughs> that like they were not they were not in love in real life, that it was a television show. But I tell you, a, a big discussion we also have is about it was kind of the first show in the history of television that that inverted the story. Right. So like most uh, comedies focus on the lovers. It focuses on the young lovers. And then you have like a wacky uncle or something that comes in and does his funny thing and then leaves. And the office was different, right? Like the wacky uncle was Michael Scott right in the middle of everything. And then you had this love story playing out just like in the corner. Like sometimes there would be nothing except, you know, someone would touch great, you know, lightly graze someone's hand and you'd be like, oh. And I think what that did was that made viewers lean into that story and really want to see more because they weren't getting it week after week. What's in the book? Um, again, I, I wasn't interested in, in, oh, this is what happened and it was really cool and funny. And, and this is what you should think about what happened. It, it's an oral history, right? So like my memory is very different than other people's memory. And so what I tried to do was to put all of those things together to tell sort of our best version of what happened. But again, specifically, to really try to answer that question, why, why did 57.1 billion minutes get watched on Netflix in 2020? Like that is a number I can't even comprehend. And that doesn't count Comedy Central and DVDs and wherever else people are illegally watching it i mean you know so like just the number of minutes and episodes that people are consuming is is insane what was the audition like for me it was uh i was i auditioned for stanley oh so i was i was brought in for stanley and i did uh i did kind of a bold maneuver because i knew the british version of the show and i knew that there was a character called kevin in in this and i knew that that was the part that i should play and so i went in and met with greg daniels and ken quapas and ben Selva, all these producers and i read the role of stanley as though i were kevin and it was over and i walked out and i was like well that didn't go very well <laughs> that was that was a bad choice by me uh and i was i was truly i was walking out and Allison Jones, the casting director, ran after me and said, oh, hey, hey, Brian, Brian, Brian. Actually, there's another role uh, they, they want you to read for. And I, wrote, I read for Kevin. And I may have told you this before, but one of the coolest things I have, uh, when Steve Carell left, uh, the casting director handed me a piece of paper. And she was like, hey, I was looking for like cool memorabilia for Steve. I didn't find that much, but I thought you would appreciate this. And it was just a piece of paper and it said Kevin Malone and it said Brian Baumgartner, Eric Stone Street from Modern Family, now fame, and uh, Jorge Garcia, who went on to Lost and everything else. So it was the three of us. Wow. At that. So who knows? Maybe I could have been Cam in Modern Family. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you come up with a voice for Kevin? You know, it was... So, I mean, this is way too nerdy for your audience, Dan, but I was I was a theater actor, right? So for me, it wasn't like 
improv or stand up. Like for me, it was about creating characters. And so I, I created this character and we began shooting and then the writers just like, they just fell in love with this. Let's just call it childlike sensibility of Kevin. <laughs> and so it became a little more childlike, a little more mischievous. And, uh, and so I would say it sort of uh, it sort of evolved over those first two seasons to where to where we finally got. My justification is that Kevin was nervous of the cameras that were filming us, the like fake documentary crew. And as I became more comfortable, more of my personality came out. What was that first day with Steve Carell like? He's a, he's a genius. I mean, I like to make fun of him, and 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 I should, but. I truly believe he is the greatest improviser in, in the history of comedy. He, he is. Explain that. I, he is. So anybody, can, I mean, anyone who's smart or funny or whatever can make a joke, right? A, a poop joke, a whatever kind of joke that just gets a laugh. But what Steve was able to do is in the blink of an eye, come up with something funny that was also 100% consistent with the character of Michael Scott that he had created and also stayed on the story, like the plot of that particular episode. So there was never any like, um, I'll show you an example, right? Like this is, I should not say this, right? It's a hilarious show. I love Seth MacFarlane. But you think about like um, Family Guy, right? A ton of the Family Guy jokes are like, that remember that reminds me of the time when and they cut to something totally different and it's really funny in a you know show with real people that becomes way more difficult to do and he never did that he never just thought of a joke that was funny it was always on character and on story um I, truly i i think he's a genius funniest person on set was who me <laughs> of course <laughs> um i uh Man, I mean, who was funny outside of the show? So, so we, not Steve, not Steve, I would say, with all respect, like he um, I know, you know, Will Ferrell quite a bit, like very, really understated um, family guys. Like it, it's not about that. Right. It's like the the opposite of of how Robin Williams used to be. Right. Like Robin Williams was on all of the was hilarious every moment of the day. Uh, not Steve. I um funniest. Craig Robinson, who played Daryl, might be the funniest stand-up guy I've ever seen. I mean, he's he is really funny. He's really funny. Um, and I find sometimes that I've been out with comedians, and they're not always the funniest person at the table. Right. And you know, sometimes they're moody. You know, they pick their spots. It's the, the guy you don't expect to be sneaky funny. And you're like, oh, wow, that guy is right. really funny. That guy's really funny. I know. But depending on how famous that comedian is that you're out to dinner with, he'll get the biggest laughs. Oh, whether yeah, absolutely. Whether he's, like, whether he's the funniest or not. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's a given that if I say the line. Or Bill Murray says, says the line, oh. Bill is going to kill him. And mine might be... <laughs> <laughs> be about it i i i get i get jokes that um i 
my biggest laughs now come from somebody saying something that nobody quite hears. And then I just repeat it louder and get a big laugh. <laughs> I don't know. What, what's have, the uh, best cameo? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I, I mean, I have proposed to so many people. I guess you have to say that I, I, I joked before. I think I have the world record for most successful proposals of anyone in the history of the world. I should contact Guinness about that. Not to me, but me asking someone to marry someone else and them, I assume, saying yes. It's been in the in the dozens, the multiple dozens. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I Jim Carrey was a nice little cameo. Can, oh my God! I thought you were talking about cameo, cameo, oh, like no. the cameo no. site. I was. <laughs> everyone asks me about cameo. I kept thinking, like, what the hell is Kevin what, talking about? That's, with well, that's why I was like, oh God, Dan, you're going there. Um, the best cameo on the show, on the office, the best cameo performance. Jesus, that was. We need to get our notes together. Now. I know. Um, I. I, um, for me, it was Kathy Bates. Yeah. She had a couple but, episodes. Yeah. Yeah. She, and it was really, um, she and I went to SMU together. No, not together. That's a, that is not true. She and I both went to SMU. And when I was a student, this, this is, this is cute. When, uh, my mom will appreciate this. When I was a student, she came to like speak. She'd won the Oscar for misery. And we ended up appearing on stage. There was like an opening of a theater or something. And I was a student. My mom uh, sent her a book and had her sign a book to me. And so years later, when she shows up on set, um, I bring in this book that my mom, that she had sent, you know, signed to me, like however many years before. And that was really cool. I could have had a, like a better ending to it i mean it wasn't funny and i'm trying my best here right. Look, i got i got i got to tell you this though this this i got to tell you because i don't know if you're going to go here i i was just in scranton i went back to scranton this last week to launch the book right i did my like new york you know today show stuff or whatever but i was like we gotta go to scranton and in the introduction of the book no one's heard this story yet dan okay in the introduction of the book, I talk about how The Office takes off and this crazy success that happens. And one of the stories that I tell in the introduction of the book was Angela and I go back to Scranton very quickly. And um, I'm told by someone that there's a wedding happening in the hotel we're staying at and that the bride is a big fan of Kevin. And they sneak me into the ballroom and I come in and... She's standing there through a side door. She's standing there and she starts crying. This is a true story. She starts crying and she comes up to me and she wraps her arms around me. And she says to me, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> and I, I say, I, I truly, I was like, no, 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 no. You just got married. Wait, like wait, you got to do the Kevin ago. voice to her. Don't you? You can't. You can't. I was like, Ma'am, this is not the greatest moment of your life. So 
it's it's this is 2007 yeah. that happens right i'm not great at math 14 years later i just go back to scranton i sign a thousand books in scranton this one night and suddenly there she is and she has the photo that was taken that night and she's like and she has a kid now she has a kid i tried to make a joke to the kid about me being her first love kid did not get it, it went over very poorly very poorly um, I thought you were yeah, going to say was... that she's divorced and she showed up to say <laughs> hello to you. <laughs> this is the second greatest moment of my life. <laughs> uh, the book, um, and it's a great, you know, like just flying through it. So many pictures, stories there, the interviews. Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, the ultimate oral history of The Office, and it just went on sale last week. Always great to talk to you, Brian. Thank you again, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you, Dan. And the next time I'm on your show, yeah. we'll find out today. Yeah. You're going to introduce me as New York Times bestselling author. Let's go. We'll find out today. Go. We'll find out today. Okay. I don't want to jinx it. Well, I've put other people on that New York Times bestseller list. So if you're not on there, then it's going to be on me, not on you. Okay. I'll accept it. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Brian. All uh, right. Go out and buy the book. Let's make him a best-selling author, Brian Baumgartner.